Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. You know it, but we want to remind you every single week that here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, church, we have finally finished up the greatest sermon of all time. And I'm not talking about my sermon. I'm talking about Jesus' sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And we had divided that series up into three series, the Beatitudes, Summer on the Mount, and then the Countercultural Kingdom that we finished up here uh, in the fall with this final sermon entitled Wise and Foolish Builders in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. And I'll read it for you to get our minds oriented towards the rest of this podcast. Verse 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, folks, the preaching point from our final sermon in the Sermon on the Mount was this, that the outcome of your life, both temporally and eternally, is directly determined by whether or not you obey Jesus' words. And in this sermon, we ask three questions that took the form of our teaching points, and they were these. Number one, is your foundation Christ's words? We're not saying, do I know them? Because we saw that both builders knew the words of Jesus. We're asking, is your foundation Christ's words? Is that in which you build your life on the application of the words of Jesus Christ? The second point that we must all ask ourselves, are you building for the storms ahead? Are we doing like I joked about in one of my illustrations? Are we just making the walls look good and we decorating with nice trinkets? But when the storm comes, it tears apart everything that we've been working on? Or are we building for the storms ahead by making sure that not only do we have the right foundation, but are we applying God's word and building on the foundation that Christ has made? That way we stand secure in the storms of this life and in the eschatological judgment ahead. And then finally, as we talk about that eschatological day of judgment, you have to ask the third question. Will you stand secure on the day of judgment? And we understand, just like Hebrews teaches us, that it is appointed once for every man to die, and then comes judgment. And we have to ask ourselves, does the grace of Christ cover us? And is his righteousness ours? Does his blood cleanse us from all of our sin are we in Christ? Will we stand there before the Father on the day of judgment? And he say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. And even as we were reminded in this sermon, that even for the Christian, according to 1 Corinthians, we too have our own judgment where we will be accountable to our life and how we lived it and how we applied the words of Jesus Christ. And so for us, we have to ask ourselves the twofold question, am I in Christ? And am I building 
on the foundation of Christ in a way that glorifies God as I'm building for the day that I meet Christ face to face. All right, church, as always, we love it when you guys spend time asking questions because we want to answer them. We want to do our best to help us think rightly about the sermons that we preach and the texts of Scripture that we see in front of us. And so, therefore, what I want uh, to do now is I want to take some time to uh, answer some of the questions that those who attended our church this week submitted. The first question here is, how does not liking the pains of life's storms and what Jesus wrote in James 1-2 work together? I assume that you're uh, talking about the comment that I made there in the sermon of talking about this idea that we don't have to like the storms, these these pains of life. It's not that we're just looking at them and as they're coming towards us, we're just laughing and giggling and can't wait for these storms. Um, I said something that could be summed up in, in that kind of context. And and how does that compare to James 1-2? And, and if you know uh, James 1-2, you, you know that it says that we ought to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so, yeah, um, there, is a, there is a sense in which we need to look at all the trials in our life and count them a joy. But what I want to make sure that we don't do is have this unrealistic expectation that, we, uh, that when we have storms and we have the pains of life, that we also don't have the real emotions that go with it, that I can, one, count it as deep, satisfying joy in Christ, knowing that He's going to sustain me through the storms of my life, while not also having a smile on my face through all the things that I'm going through. I think anyone who can think of the time they have lost somebody they loved, that they had passed away, or that they had a tr- tragic event happen in their life, they can both count their joys, uh, count their trials as joy, knowing that their foundation is in Christ, while also saying, I deeply dislike the event that I'm going through. And we're going to say that those are not mutually exclusive, very compatible. This idea that I do not enjoy and like the storm that I'm in right now, but I can still count it all joy. And I think that's where the context of James 1-2 finds its, its fullness, is this idea that I greatly dislike the storms that I'm going through, but I can count it all joy because it's Christ who is going to, if you read the rest of that text, that the testing of my faith produces steadfastness. And when I let steadfastness in verse 4 have its full effect, that I will not be lacking in anything, that I'll be perfect and complete. And that idea that I'm going to have everything I need in my life as I have been tested, that God is going to give me all that I need to continue living that life faithful to Him. And so that is that is exactly how I would explain that, just because uh, that we ought to count all our trials as joy doesn't mean that we have to uh, enjoy every single uh, storm that comes into our life. We can um, we can be very we can dislike many of the things that happen in our life, and that would not be a contrary emotion uh, when it comes to what James one is teaching us. We also ought to do. The qu- second question here is, when in conversation with a professing Christian who denies the necessity of obedience as evidence of salvation, are warning passages like John 14, 23 through 24, where we should keep the conversation to ensure they are trusting their soul to the biblical gospel? And so there are many warning passages in the New Testament that, uh, if we're not careful, uh, can cause a lot of consternation and doubt in the, uh, the Christian's life. We have one here in uh, John 14 that uh, 
that let's read there in John 14, starting in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Uh, yeah, when we look at a, a passage like this, it helps us understand uh, not are we going to lose our salvation, but it keeps us on did I actually have salvation? And I think that's a helpful place as all of us who are listening to this want to think about the perseverance of the saints, which is a doctrine that we hold to this idea that 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 I'm going to persevere. Christ is going to hold me. No one can plug me out of uh, his hand. He's going to preserve me until the end. And so when those texts we hear in Scripture that says, uh, if you hold fast to the faith, you will be saved. And we're going to say, absolutely, if I do, and I will, because I have I, I, I am going to persevere through Christ who will not let me go. Um, versus this fact that I, I did, that we can look at that text like that and say, well, so if I don't persevere, then that means I lost my salvation. And we're going to say, no, if you didn't persevere, that just means you were never saved to begin with. And so when we look at texts like this, we keep it in that kind of context of saying, hey, obedience is necessary in our relationship with Christ. Now, good works, and this is where a lot of people equate obedience and good works. We're going to say good works are not required for salvation, but good works are required for those that have salvation. And there is just no way around that as you look to Scripture if you will let Scripture speak for itself. Now, if we want to let people speak for themselves, you're going to find a lot of people with a lot of different views. But all we want to do is look at the text of Scripture and say, what does it say? Because here's the deal at the end of the day. If we believe that Scripture is true, it's true truth. It's not my interpretation versus your interpretation. It is what it is. And when we look at a text and we say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and he will... And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that it, that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I look at that text. Pretty simple there. That e- even a child who reads that text says this: that if I love Jesus, I'm going to obey His words. And uh, then there there is also in that the Father who loves me, not not because so to speak that all that, that I have worked for my salvation at all. Not I wouldn't even say so to speak. Just. You know, exclusively not because that you do good works, but that idea that you are keeping the words of, of Christ is that proof of that salvation that has been produced in you by the Holy Spirit. And in that, you know that the Father's love is on you because the Father's love is on Christ and all those who are in Christ have the Father's love. And we know that they're going to make their home with us in the third person of the triune Godhead and in the eschatological kingdom to come. And so, yeah, I mean, that's one way to have that conversation with a professing Christian who denies the necessity of obedience. I just want to say, what does the Bible say? And I'm going to tell you that for some reason that is not a term that we use enough. If somebody is denying a tenet of Scripture, just say, what does the Bible say? Let's look at the Bible. I don't want to fill your mind with things that are not true. I just want you to you know, look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? And at that point, we're not fighting my opinion versus their opinion, their opinion versus my opinion. We're just saying, what does God's word say? We just want to submit to that. And when you get in conversations, particularly with your, uh, uh, this says professing Christians, I assume you were talking about your family, but anyone, family, professing Christians, anyone, just say, hey, what does the Bible say? Because if they're going to have any objections or any questions, they're going to question anything, they have to question Scripture, and they have to object to Scripture. 
And at the end of the day, if what you want is people to submit to the word of God and to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and to turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus, then the word of God is sufficient enough for all of those things. And so, therefore, what we want to do is just go to Scripture. Now, what we have to make sure we're doing is interpreting Scripture correctly, make sure we're dividing the word rightly. Because if we're going to divide the word rightly, we're going to interpret Scripture clearly and articulately, then we're going to be able to help people understand what God's Word says. If we're going to be those who want to cherry-pick verses, then we're going to be just like all the false teachers out there who can make the Bible say whatever they want, which even with that, we say that loosely because you can't really make the Bible say whatever you want uh, without continually cherry-picking Scripture. But if we're going to go into the Bible and say, let's read the Bible and interpret Scripture with Scripture, then we're going to say it's going to be very difficult to find ourselves on the wrong end of God's Word when we're just looking at the Bible and saying, what does God's Word say about obedience in the Christian life? Great question. Here's the last question uh, for this podcast. It says, you briefly talked about verses 28 and 29. In verses 28 and 29, if you remember the last two verses in the Sermon on the Mount, that says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And uh, the listener asked the question, Could you expand on the fact that we should be astonished at Jesus' teachings? And clarification of what it means that when I said, If we're not astonished, we aren't reading it right. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that in uh, two parts. Part one, why should we be astonished at Jesus' teachings? Well, when we look at these teachings, we see that the original readers were astonished at his teachings. And, I mean, I just want you to think for a minute. If you're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and we're looking at what Jesus is saying, we must be astonished because what we see Jesus doing here is quite different than you see any other scribes teaching, uh, and even as any human, and we're including prophets of the Old Testament, uh, when it comes to the way that Jesus is speaking. I mean, even look at anger. I mean, anger in Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And I mean, this idea, like some person who is going to say this to you, who isn't God, is saying these words to you, you would be astonished. I mean, the verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And there's the, that common foundation, even in our culture. What's, con, what's, what's adultery? Well, it's when one man, uh, when, a, when a married man has sexual relations with another woman or a married woman has sexual relations with, a, with another man. And so we're, we're all going to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of foundational, what we all believe about adultery. But here's what Jesus says, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we've already gone through all of those texts, but when we say who can say such a thing? Well, that is the question. And when we read this text and we see what the listeners, those on the mount were saying, they were astonished at everything he was saying. And they were teaching as one who had authority. He was teaching as one who had authority, not like the scribes. And so we should be astonished at this because exactly they were, their minds were boggled because they're like, who can say these things? And we see that in other scriptures uh, in, the, in the Gospels where, they, where Jesus says, uh, you know, son, your sins are forgiven when he's talking uh, to the paralytic. And uh, they said, well, who, you blasphemy, who can forgive God, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that's, that's the concept here that we're looking at, is this idea that 
we should be astonished because only God can say these things. And if Jesus is saying these things and they're true and he is who he says he is, then this authority is God. And so we should be, as we're looking at this text, we should be astonished at Jesus' teachings because these teachings were never, never in history has any person spoke like Jesus. And so when I and so first part, there's a the first part. The second part is, and when I said if we aren't astonished, we aren't reading it right. And really what I what I was pushing there is this fact that we can be so familiar. We can be have this familiarity with scripture that we just kind of gloss right over as we're reading over it, you know. I mean, you can read uh, you can read a text of scripture like, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was uh, was was void and formless, and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And you're like, okay, all right, that's that's okay, got that, understood that. But you're like, are you kidding me? Read that again. I mean, there there is a fundamental question that everyone asks throughout history, that right now the scientists are gazing into the universe, looking as far out into the universe as they can to go find a singularity somewhere in the ever-expanding universe to try to figure out where did all this stuff come from. And we open up the first sentence in the Bible, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all I'm saying, if we're not astonished by what we're reading in God's Word, if we're not astonished by what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, we just aren't reading it right. And if you don't get excited when Jesus speaks, you're not reading it right. And if you don't find conviction in your heart when Jesus is speaking, we're not reading it right. And if we're not jumping to how do I apply God's word to my life, we're not reading it right. And so there's the passionate, zealous uh, desire that I have for everyone in our church to say, when Jesus speaks, that's one thing that the crowd had right. They were astonished. Because Jesus has authority. And even that word right there, authority, in verse 29. You remember the other place right off the top of your head that you see that word? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus said to them, All authority on he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey Everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. And so, yeah, I think we need to be astonished at the teachings of Jesus, and so much so that we take the Great Commission, and then we go and we help other people be astonished at the authority of Jesus Christ, calling all of them to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. All right, church, I know you're going to prepare well for your application questions for your life groups. And I, I want to remind you, listen, do the work for your application questions. It's not because I think that you're you know, going to class this week, so to speak, and your teacher's looking to check your homework. That's not what this is about. This isn't about checking the box for your homework. This is about the one another's. You are about to gather together at a sacred, a holy, a reverent meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ, and the question you really have to answer is, how am I encouraging them? How have, how have I prepared for this life, group lead, this life group meeting? Have I prepared with diligent study of God's Word, diligent application of the sermon that was preached this Sunday? So how am I going to internalize the sermon, apply it to my life, 
and give encouragement and application of these questions. And so I want to encourage you as I end with that to ensure that you spend time completing your application questions, not because we're going to grade it, but because we have the one another's of the New Testament that teaches us how to live in a godly way, in a Christ-exalting, God-honoring way with one another. And part of that is through gathering together and encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. All right. Lastly, we have some announcements. We have our men's fellowship coming up on November the 11th. That's this Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. And this is our last men's event of the year. So men, come far, from, come from far and wide. Join us as we sit under the teaching of God's Word and encourage one another as men. We have our final Exploring Compass of 2023 on the 12th and 19th of this month. And so can you believe it that it's already November? We already have over 60 people registered for Exploring Compass. And if you haven't registered and you need to, go ahead and hit that registration link there on our website at compasshillcountry.org and join us for our final Exploring Compass of the year. You heard Pastor Evan give you the whole slate of ministry events that we have coming up that we entitle Christmas at Compass. And we're going to start that off by our Women's Christmas Coffee, which is just a huge event for our women where women come and they decorate their tables and it looks like an absolute blast. And there's both wonderful fellowship, wonderful games and prizes, and really a wonderful Savior that we're going to learn about through sitting under the teaching of God's Word. And so, gals, you must register. It's free, but uh, go ahead and get that registration link out. Invite other gals to join you for your final women's ministry event of the year. And then the very next day, we are inviting Dr. Chris McKinney, who is a biblical archaeologist, to uh, fill our pulpit to give us the archaeological evidence for the Bethlehem birth account in the Gospels. And so I think that'll be a wonderful opportunity for us uh, to have tangible, empirical, a time of, of, of learning that the things that we read in Scripture are not just stories. They're historical events that tell the account of our Savior's birth that led to Him taking our sin upon Him on the cross. And because He was born... And because he died, we could be reborn and we could live. We also have a, n- a couple of other events coming up in December, our Christmas celebration, which we do every year, which is a wonderful evangelistic outreach for us to go and invite people to come and see, to come and hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, to get connected to Christ and begin growing. We don't want to lose out on the opportunity, the special privilege we have of inviting people into relationship with Christ this holiday season. We also have our kids' Christmas choir coming up in December, and we have our Christmas Eve service, which is on a Sunday this year, and we'll have our normal services at 9 and 11, full services, full child care, our normal uh, 9-11 services as we celebrate uh, and, and the birth of Christ, and we finish up our Christmas sermon series in the Gospel of John entitled Joy to the World. I want to remind everyone at our church, you're listening to this podcast, this is, we are entering into this holiday season, which is the outreach stretch of our year, which means this, that we want to invite people all the time to church. We want to share the gospel to people in the community all the time. But this is a special time of year that our church, our family here at Compass Bible Church has put in uh, extra time and extra finances into an opportunity for us to invite people to come hear the gospel. And so I want you to think about it that way. And I want you to look at this opportunity that we have this 
December as we have a biblical archaeologist coming. We have our Christmas celebration. We have our kids' Christmas choir. And we have our Christmas Eve service all coming up and our women's Christmas coffee coming up as a great opportunity to continually invite people to see what God's doing here and that they would come to know Jesus Christ. The final announcement I have for you guys is we have our serve team celebration. So that that means this, if you are someone who has served with us here at Compass Bible Church through one of our serve teams this year, you are invited to the serve team celebration, which is the opportunity for our church to celebrate how God has used our serve team to glorify him, to be a conduit in which God has seen people saved and discipled. And it's our opportunity to praise God for what he's done this year at our church. And we're going to meet there at the Civic Center on Monday night, December the 18th. And we are going to have a blast. I've got a lot of details coming for you soon uh, as we prepare for our serve team celebration. But I hope to see you there if you've served with us this year. All right, church, I'm praying for you this week. I'm looking forward to see what God's going to do through our life groups. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.